0: Welcome, everybody.
1: Um, We'll begin with taking refuge and generating bodhicitta, as we always do, so that we can clarify in our own mind uh, what spiritual path we are following and what our aim in following that path is. So that gives us a lot of direction instead of. Wandering aimlessly through, you know, all sorts of different spiritual practices, not, or spiritual traditions even, and not knowing what we're practicing. And, and then when people ask us why we're practicing, uh, all we can do is say, well, uh, I feel better. <laughs> yeah, which is good. Nothing wrong with feeling better, but we're here as people who want to practice it as a spiritual path, not as uh, a self-help remedy to make ourselves feel better in this life. You know, the self-help remedy is good. It's a byproduct of practicing, but that's not our chief aim. Or at least it shouldn't be. It may be, but let's try and bump it up, okay, so that our aim is... Uh, to make it a spiritual path for for ourselves, yeah, where we're leading to something beyond the happiness of this life, beyond the comfort of our own uh, ego, which is a complete fiction made up by self-grasping. Yet it dictates everything, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay, so we visualize the Buddhism bodhisattvas in the space in front, ourselves surrounded by all sentient beings. And it's very helpful to put the sentient beings we're afraid of, or distrust, or are mad at, or can't stand right in front of us, between us and all the holy beings. And they, too, are facing the holy beings seeking refuge. And we have to look at them in order to see the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. We can't ignore the certain people that we're afraid of or don't like. They are sentient beings under the control of afflictions, just like we are. They also want happiness and not suffering. And they're also objects of our bodhicitta and our compassion. So as we think of the plight of sentient beings, including ourselves, we often turn to uh, the suffering and the misery. But we need to also consider what is going well and the kindness in the world, because all of that exists together. So on one hand, we read, especially now, what's happening with COVID in India. And how that is not just India's problem. You can't lock the borders of a whole country or even one state. It's the world's problem. And it's also the world's opportunity to come together and help each other. So part of what's happening in India is due to the corruption of the government. Part is just biologically what's happening with the with COVID. Another part has to do with people's personal level of commitment to wearing masks and keeping social distance. And then also there's the factor of karma. And the karma of a group of people. But like I said, it's not just the karma of people now living in India. It's the karma of our whole planet. And yet, at the same time, as we're experiencing the results of karma, we're also creating new karma So if we are able to deal with this situation honestly, with integrity, with a generosity, there will still be misery, but we will be able to prevent a lot of death and misery. And I think the joy of people working together against a common threat. really brings us together as living beings, sharing this planet. And yet, samsara is not limited to this planet. Yeah, samsara is incredibly vast. And we've made the commitment to be of as much benefit to all these living beings now and also in our future lives until we attain full awakening and then after that as well. So let's call up our joyous effort. To act with love and compassion for living beings, and to progress along the path to Buddhahood so we can develop the skill and the powers and the ability to best benefit them. So let this be our motivation for... Listening to Shanti Deva's advice and instructions to us today. you've been into a certain country and lived there then when you hear things it it impacts you in a very different way than if you haven't been to that place and you don't know what life is like there yeah and because I've spent a good deal of time in in India um, I just can't imagine what's happening now you know or how they're going to how to, to solve it and remedy it. It's it's quite a mess, yeah. And it's, like I said, it's all of our, it belongs to all of us, yeah. I mean, a few months ago, we were the country that the world was worrying about <laughs> because COVID was spreading so rapidly here. And, and India was doing quite well. And now a few months later, you know, we're doing better and India's really having trouble. So nothing to gloat about. On the other hand, last night Biden gave his first talk to the U.S. Congress. And if you remember listening to any previous talks, it was always a white man giving the talk and two white men sitting behind him, the vice president and the the, um, speaker of the House. Last night was Biden giving the talk and our black South uh, South, um, Asian vice president, a woman, and Nancy Pelosi, a woman, sitting behind him. That was a first. You know, she's the first female vice president. Pelosi's the first female speaker of the house. So, you know, it it was um, you know, something's changing there. Yeah. So that's good, huh? Slowly, slowly. But it was, you know, they kind of, everybody stopped and was looking, and said, this doesn't look like all the other previous addresses. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, we've been going through the chapter five on guarding alertness, okay, or also called introspective awareness. And this chapter talks about mindfulness and introspective awareness. Okay, and these two often uh, come as a as a pair because they really support each other, and they're spoken about particularly in uh, when we study ethical conduct, and uh, also when we study concentration. Yeah. So, or serenity, how to develop concentration. So, if you learn them first in the about them in the uh, in the context of con- you know cultivating serenity, you hear that mindfulness is the mental factor that places our attention on the object of meditation. Okay, let's say the image of the Buddha you're meditating on. Or whatever your object of meditation is, and it not only puts your mind there, but it keeps the mind there. Okay, because mindfulness is related to memory, to recollection. So you're recollecting, you know, your body, your um, object of serenity, and then with a corner of your mind you check and see, are you still on that object? And you check, uh, you know, from time to time. And it has to be with a corner of your mind. If you make the corner of your mind too strong, uh, then your mindfulness is gone, actually. Yeah. So it's just, it's a skill to develop to every so often check, you know, am I on my object of meditation? Okay so sometimes you learn about mindfulness and, and introspective awareness in that context okay mindfulness puts your attention and keeps it there introspective awareness checks up if it's still there and if it, and if your attention and mindfulness have strayed or your mindfulness has disappeared introspective awareness rings the the fire bell and uh you know, basically says, okay, we need to renew mindfulness. So if it's not, uh, if you haven't been distracted a long time and your mind isn't, you know, real drowsy or, you know, like that, then sometimes just renewing your mindfulness is sufficient to get back to your meditation object. Other times, if your mind is really bonkers okay, and you're remembering all sorts of stuff or your mind is getting angry and you're replaying this video in your mind from how many decades ago, I can't even know, Um, then at that time you need to actually leave your object of meditation and meditate on the antidote to overcome whatever affliction there is or whatever interference there is in your concentration. And then, when you've overcome that, then renew your mindfulness and your object of meditation. Okay, so that's how those two are described in that context. Right now, we're talking about them in the context of ethical conduct, which on the path actually comes before developing concentration. If you remember the three higher trainings, Ethical conduct is the first one, then concentration, then wisdom. And they're developed in that order, which doesn't mean you have to completely do everything perfect in ethical conduct before you start developing concentration and wisdom. But, you know, you have to emphasize your ethical conduct at the beginning because the qualities you develop doing that will help you when you... You know, try and increase your concentration and meditation. Whereas if you don't pay attention in your daily life and develop mindfulness and introspection there, then you're giving yourself a handicap when you sit down to develop concentration because you haven't developed two qualities that are essential for developing serenity. Okay, so in the context of developing ethical conduct, and we shouldn't see ethical conduct as, you know, okay, that's the time in the day when I try and be a good person. No, ethical conduct refers to how you live your life. So it refers to how you wake up in the morning, your morning ritual, how you talk to other people in the day, what you choose as important to do during the day, how you deal with frustrations and problems when you're doing that. Um, You know, ethical conduct is 24-7, okay? So don't just think, oh, ethical conduct is after you take precepts. No, it's even before you take precepts because we have, you know, the Buddha taught the 10 non-virtues and the 10 virtues, Okay, so it's really ethical conduct means how you live your life moment to moment, day by day. Okay? And so that has got to be transformed into Dharma practice. Yeah. So, you know, it's not just Sunday morning that you're a good person. It's, yeah, or try to be. Um, it's, you know, how, how you live your life on a daily basis. So here mindfulness functions. If you have precepts, to remember what your precepts are. If you don't have precepts, to remember the ten non-virtues and the ten virtues. Okay? And so, not just to remember, like, oh, I remembered it. Okay, now I can forget it. But, to keep your mind on it, to recollect those things throughout the day, to have them be so ingrained in your life that you automatically uh, act with ethical conduct. And you automatically monitor your actions of body, speech, and mind. Okay? So that's what ethical conduct in that context is. You're remembering your precepts, your ethical values, you're remembering your refuge, you're remembering bodhicitta, all those things are like part of how you live your life. And then introspective awareness is that corner of your mind that comes up and checks, am I still focusing on what is important? Or have I got caught up in you know gossip have i got caught up in you know just uh, watching too much internet or too much tv or listening to music have i got caught up in in just eat, overeating or have i got caught up in in you know the the latest politics such that my mind is totally distracted by it okay mm-hmm. So their introspective awareness is also checking to see if our mindfulness is present, but here our mindfulness is focused mostly on precepts, refuge, bodhicitta, how we're living our life, and especially what our mind is doing, what our speech is doing, what our body is doing. Okay. So the so the context of the mindfulness and introspective awareness. Is different when in your daily life than when you're concentrating, or when you're developing serenity. Okay. But the function is very similar. Yeah. During your life, when you're walking around, you're not developing serenity. If you get in a car and you're meditating on serenity, you're going to get in an accident really quick. Okay. So that's not the time to be developing serenity, okay? <laughs> but that doesn't mean that we don't practice, you know, when you're driving a car or walking along the path or whatever. We have to practice and we develop our our, our mindfulness and, and introspective awareness in that context, okay? So uh, until now, Shantideva was... Um, he was talking about how to kind of uh help ourselves practice mindfulness and introspective awareness and one was being aware of the disadvantages of not practicing it so he we went through this whole uh long thing of you know people who have no mindfulness who break their precepts who act in very chaotic ways and how they create so much negative karma that brings them to lower rebirths. And even in this life, you know, you could wind up in prison, you could wind up, uh, you know, doing all sorts of things, and also being incredibly unhappy. Okay. And so we, we were talking about some of the things people do in just an instant that totally changes the course of their whole life. Yeah. You know, if you're driving and you're texting, yeah, how how long do you have to be looking at a text before you rear-end somebody? Or before you go out of your lane on the highway? Yeah, it's not something that takes very long, you know, a few seconds. And then that, you know, if you get in a horrible accident, And, you know, what it does to your body, what it does to somebody else, how you feel about harming somebody else because you were distracted for a few seconds, because you thought paying attention to, uh, you know, that your latest text message was more important than driving safely and protecting life. You know, then you have to live with all these consequences of doing something stupid for a few moments. Yeah. And so, you know, when we look in our lives so often, um, yeah, we space out and then karma ripens and there we are. And it doesn't take long to, to really change the whole course of our life or change the course of somebody else's life. Okay, so that's why mindfulness and introspective awareness are really important, not only to live happily this life, but to prevent creating the karma that that sends us to the lower realm. So that was one technique that, that Deva said. Think about this, and it'll give you some energy to be careful, okay, and to be conscientious. And, and then he talked about. Uh, in verse 30, staying in the company of spiritual masters through instructions by abbots and other teacher, teachers, through an awareness of danger. You know, if you lose your mindfulness and introspective awareness, then that will help you to, uh, to you know, uh, generate mindfulness in your daily actions and stay on, on it. For fortunate people who practice with respect. Okay. So who are you respecting here? Yeah. You're respecting your three objects of refuge. You're respecting the other sentient beings that you engage with. You're respecting yourself and your own uh, ethical values and principles. Okay. So if we have... That kind of respect, then, it it really helps us to be mindful, and during during our life, okay. If we treat our precepts like, okay, well, I took the precepts, I confess them every two weeks. Uh, that's good enough, um, you know. And when I confess them, uh, the people here are really polite. They don't say anything to me when I do it, you know, when I confess. So even if I've done things that aren't so good, nobody's really, you know, does this to me, and, and also I can kind of fudge when I confess, so it doesn't really sound so bad, too, yeah. So, um, you know, if we don't have that kind of respect, then, you know, it shows in our day-to-day behavior because our mindfulness and introspective awareness are lacking. Okay? So that's verse 30. Verse 31. I am ever dwelling in the presence of all the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas who are endowed with unobstructed vision. Okay? So you have an awareness that, you know, the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, they're not in some other universe. They're not stuck in some black hole you know the uh, the Buddhas have omniscient minds. The the Bodhisattvas have psychic powers. You know, so they know what we're doing. So even when we're, you know, sometimes we think, okay, when I'm with other people, then you know, I'll keep my precepts and I'll and I'll look really nice. But when I get in my own room, <laughs> you know, nobody sees what I do. Yeah. They don't know that I'm actually on doing on internet doing this, that, and the other thing. They don't know that I'm writing secret love letters to somebody or, you know, that I'm gambling online or, you know, whatever it is. Okay. So, you know, as long as I'm alone, nobody knows. This verse is saying, actually, the Buddhist bodhisattvas know what's going on, you know, because it's just all phenomena. Are in the per, uh, the range, yeah, of the Buddha's omniscient mind, yeah. and the bodhisattvas may not be omniscient, but they have a lot of psychic powers and can be checking up, yeah. So they're not spying on us, yeah. Okay, they're not like the FBI or the CIA or Putin's, you know, gang. So don't don't take it like that. They're checking up to see how we're doing and if we're, you know, practicing well and how they can help us. But if we really respect them, yeah, we don't want to look like jerks. It's like, well, the Buddha's been giving me all these teachings for how many years? And then I just, you know, am acting like a jerk. And the Buddhas see that, but they're so compassionate that it's okay, they forgive me. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah, Karma does not forgive us. Okay? We create our own karma. So the, the Buddhas, you know, may not get angry and upset with us, but they can't destroy our karma. We're the ones who have to, who create it and have to purify it. Okay, but thinking that the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas are here and they're observing us, that can give us a little bit of, you know, to to be more careful with our behavior. Yeah, it's the same. You know, if if you're in the presence of your teacher, yeah, most people they act pretty well in presence of their teacher. Yeah, very humble. Yes, I will do as directed. Yeah, oh, you are my wise, special teacher. Yeah, you know, may I offer you a cup of tea? May I give you this and that? Very, you know, here's a kata. Uh, You know, very respectful. And then, when they walk out of the room where their teacher is, yeah, then there's a whole different person you know a whole different persona i should say oh well i was just my teacher with my teacher and i got to stay so long and look what he gave me yeah or i know my teacher very well and i know the attendants very well i'll get you an appointment okay and so all of a sudden you know, we become big shots. And, uh, you know, I've seen this so often in Dharma centers. Uh, everybody wants to help the teacher. Yeah, I'll wash the dishes for the teacher. But I won't wash anybody else's dishes. In fact, the other people should wash my dishes. Yeah, especially... Well, I'm ordained, they should wash my dishes. Yeah. Or I'm senior. They should wash my dishes. Here. I'll give you some soap. Go do it. Yeah. And and you know, where, where's our mindfulness and introspective awareness then? It's way gone, isn't it? Way gone. So you know, it's re- it's very helpful to think you know, okay. When you're with your teacher, you act well, but think the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas are there too, and I, you know, they're uh, they're observing, and then that helps us. Okay. I remember one time um, talking with another disciple, some of, one of my teachers, and we were joking that we could just imagine what happens when all of our teachers get together, you know, and talk about their disciples. like, oh, you should know what this one does, <laughs> what this one does. I mean, of course, they're not going to do that, but it would be really funny if they did. Yeah, I'm sure they have great stories about what, uh, what their students do. Okay, 32. By thinking in this way, I shall mindfully develop a sense of integrity. So instead of shame, I translate integrity because there's two kinds of shame, and people usually go to thinking about the wrong one. Yeah, so it's more a sense of integrity, uh, respect, and awareness of danger instead of fear, because, again, fear has multiple meanings, okay? And through doing this, recollection of the Buddha will repeatedly occur, okay? So if I think about my teachers, the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, okay, then I have a sense of integrity. I mean, they spent... So much time practicing and and learning the teachings and teaching me, and I repay it by just being reckless and careless and opening my big mouth about this, that, and the other thing. Yeah, so it it you know, when we think in that way, then we have a sense of integrity. It's like, well, I want to act properly out of respect for myself, yeah. Because I've been the recipient of so much help along the path, yeah, and I want to act properly, also, so that I don't destroy the faith of other people. Yeah. Okay. So you, we develop a sense of integrity, of respect for other people, and self-respect. Okay and an awareness of the danger if we just kind of you know let everything go and and don't keep don't monitor our body speech and mind so monitoring our body speech and mind doesn't mean that our introspective awareness is like this heavy duty you know i am watching what you're doing you know and as part of your own mind don't you be bad? you know, what not there some jingle about Santa Claus doing something like that? Yeah? I guess <laughs> what's you know, it's a happy sounding jingle, but Santa Claus is really checking up what's what you're doing. Yeah. So this isn't like that, yeah, but it, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's it's awareness. Of, you know, the reality of the situation. And through that, that helps you remember the Buddha more and more during your life. And that is really helpful at the time of death, because the more you can remember, you know, your values and precepts and the Buddha, Dharma and Sangha when you're alive, then the better chance you have at the time of death to remember those same things. Okay, then 33, when mindfulness is set with purpose of guarding the doorway of the mind, then introspective awareness will come about and even that which has gone will return. Okay, so we set before every activity, it's good to set your motivation and set your mindfulness. And we do that, you know, here at the Abbey uh, very much during the day, before, you know, meals, we have the stand up meeting before any kind of teachings or pujas or whatever. So constantly doing that throughout the day is really helpful to, to reestablish our mindfulness yeah, on the Buddha Dharma Sangha, on our practice on Bodhicitta and so on. Okay. And so it's nice uh you know to have things throughout the day that remind you that are kind of like your mindfulness bell so Thich Nhat han has a real bell that people stop and then they you know become mindful there but i think you can do things just as easily uh you know if you're working on a computer whenever you uh you know open it up or you know, if you're doing texting or phone calls or whatever, this is for people who aren't here. We don't do texting here, you know, unless it's to India because they don't do emails there anymore. Um, you know, you set your motivation of you know I'm going to pay attention to this person. I'm going to res- I'm going to communicate kindly. I'm going to respond kindly. Okay. And, you know, whether you're vacuuming or washing dishes or whatever, you know, setting the motivation. And so that makes your whole day very pleasant. So I I heard now that Thursday afternoons are swarm the forest afternoons. Starting next week. Starting next week, okay. So, you know, some people around here are couch potatoes and it's like, You want me to go work in the forest? I'll get dirty. I don't want to lift these logs. They're dirty. They're heavy. Yeah. I don't want to lop these things. Let somebody else do it. Yeah. I'm too busy doing important things. Yeah. And my body doesn't need exercise. Yes. I know the doctors tell us we need exercise. I get plenty of exercise. I walk from my room to my office and to the meditation hall. That's good enough. Yeah, I don't need exercise. I don't need sunshine. And I don't need dirt and I don't need ticks. And I don't need to work with all these other people who are asking me to pull that or lop that or, you know hurry up and do something. Yeah. I want to sit at my office where I look like I'm busy, but I'm actually watching things on the internet because I send so many of them around to all my friends in the Abbey. You got to watch this. Well, how how do we know that we are watching the internet a lot? because you send around a lot of things for the rest of us to watch. (laughs) It's a dead giveaway. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, uh, and, and, you know, I just have more important things to do. I have a degree, by the way, so, what am I doing working in the forest? Okay, so those people really need to work in the forest. <laughs> yeah? You can see if you have that kind of attitude, you need to work in the forest. Yeah and it's good for you. You get exercise, you're outdoors, it's beautiful outdoors, it's really fun when everybody works together, and you can see afterwards that you really did something. When you work on a computer, you can, at the end of the day, you can't see anything. Your desk looks exactly like it did when you opened it, when you sat down in the morning. Okay? Except probably with more things piled on it. But, you know, when you work out in the forest, there's a real sense of, I did something, look. You know? And then you know that other people will walk in the forest, and it'll be a much pleasanter journey for them. You know that you're working to prevent fire here. Yeah? So... I'll see you next Thursday, although if I had my druthers, it would be this afternoon. But she's very compassionate. She says, next week we'll start. it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And thank you to all the volunteers who come up and help us with the forest. Yeah. We've really seen what's happened uh, in the last year because we haven't had volunteers here. And it's been really difficult for all of us to keep up with everything. So we really appreciate the people who come up uh, to help us. Okay. So... If your mindfulness is set with purpose, yeah, and you're guarding your mind, then introspective alertness follows very easily. Yeah, because you've made up your mind to focus on something. And so then you kind of naturally check up to see if you're still focused on it. Then 34 when I, when just as I am about to act, I see that my mind is tainted with defilement. At such a time, I should remain unmovable like a piece of wood. Okay, so I, first I want to talk about what this piece of wood business is like. Because when I first heard it, it wasn't, you know, elaborately explained. And I thought, piece of wood, oh, you just stand still. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it says immovable, like a piece of wood. Oh, so am I upright like a piece of wood? Do I lie down like a, a piece of wood? <laughs> am I in the shape of a two-by-four or a two-by-six? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. And, and do I just sit there? Yeah. No. What it means is, okay... A a piece of wood, just it 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 isn't repressed, it isn't suppressed, it just is quiet. Okay, so when you're about to act and you see that your mind is tainted with defilements, you want to say something mean to somebody. Yeah, you want to say something that brags about your status or intelligence or looks or something. Then, you know, you remain like a piece of wood. You don't open your mouth and say it. You don't do that action. Yeah, so you catch yourself. Now, many times I've experienced, and maybe you have too, my mind is saying, oh, look what I'm about to say. This is not so good. And then I go right ahead and say it. Okay? So that is having introspective awareness. Yeah. But it needs some more oomph behind it to rejuvenate the the mindfulness okay and to rejuvenate the conscientiousness so that we really care about what we're about to say or do okay but at least noticing that we have a rotten motivation that is progress because if you think about it before you encountered the dharma you may never even have thought about your motivation or if you thought about it, you thought, oh, th- you know, this motivation, I'm going to brag a little bit, and that's going to increase my reputation. This is good. Yeah. So you confuse non-virtue with virtue and go ahead and do it, uh, creating non-virtue, but, you know, thinking that that uh, you're getting some benefit from bragging. Yeah because so much benefit comes from bragging, doesn't it? I mean, nobody else is going to talk about our good qualities. (laughs) We better talk about them. We better advertise them. This really, I mean, this is what the world is like now, especially in, you know, if you want to get a job in a competitive workplace, you have to turn yourself into a commodity and self-advertise yeah and you don't follow any kind of code of correct advertising you just make up anything it's like well i don't really know how to do that but i'm a very quick learner how many times have i read that on applications yeah <laughs> yeah that one's a dead giveaway too <laughs> um you know Or, like, I know how to do this, and it's very similar to that. and Or you up the notch. uh, You know, I mean, we know all sorts of ways to how to make our self look good. Okay? And, uh, you know, sometimes we increase our job title. Yeah. You you see that sometimes. People are, um, like, these job titles that you don't know what they mean. They're assistant to the manager for this and that. Yeah? Which means you probably, you know, you're assistant to the manager for the overall supervision of the status of the facility. Okay, so that means you're the janitor. (laughs) Okay? And if you're the janitor, you should have integrity about being a janitor. I mean, the people who work in the office, they can't function without janitors and cl- trash collectors, you know. So you should have your own dignity as that. And, you know, but to, to you know, change your, your job description. Yeah. I, 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 have, I have the corner office. Yeah, corner office. Yeah, so what? In grade school, you sat in the corner too. <laughs> there were no windows. What? <laughs> there, were no windows. there were no windows. Sometimes in the back of the room, there were windows. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, so in grade school, oh yes, all through grade school, I had the corner off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah So all sorts of, of ways that we we, uh, we make ourselves look good. Yeah and, and that's what we're called on to do if you want a job, you know. Yeah. So I think you have to really think, do you want to play that game? Yeah. I know for myself, you know, I mean, I lo- I read the all the application forms and things, and and I much appreciate the uh, forms where people are really honest, you know, and they're not trying to to make themselves look good. I've done you know innumerable meditation retreats under the guidance of so and so, Dorji Chong, and so and so, Ripa and Sayadaw so and so, and. Uh, you know, well, yeah, you've done retreats, but what's your meditation been like? (laughs) And did you go to all the sessions? Or were you in bed for half the sessions? (laughs) Okay, so I, I, you know, but I remember one time when my niece was filling out an application for college, and uh you know they asked her you know talk about yourself yeah that was one of the questions and i said to her you know i think men mention the things that you're good at that you respect in yourself but also be honest and talk about what you're not so good at well yeah <laughs> her mother wasn't very pleased with that advice And my niece wasn't very pleased with that advice either, you know, because basically we know she doesn't have any faults anyway. So, what's she supposed to write about? (laughs) Right? (laughs) And even if she did have faults, you don't tell people on a college, uh, you know, application that you have faults. Yeah. And yet, you know, I I was talking with a, a friend of mine once, and he had a friend who uh, worked in the graduate department of uh, some university in the department, um, I think it was, I don't know, it was chemistry, physics, biology, something, one of the science departments, and, uh, and he was uh, involved with looking at the applications and deciding on the graduate students that would be accepted to the program. And he said that what he looks for in the applications is how students, uh, or how the applicants, respond when they fail. What do they do when they fail? And he says that, for him, is one of the most important things to look at. But of course, on an application, nobody wants to admit failing. But if you're a scientist, or actually any field you work in, you're gonna make mistakes and you're gonna fail. And how do you respond when you fail, when you make a mistake, when you do something and you look like a jerk? in front of your colleagues, okay? And that really tells you something about a person's character, yeah? Do they cover up their mistake or do they just say it? Do they rectify it themselves or do they blame somebody else? Yeah, Do they get discouraged and give up? Or do they learn from their mistake and try again? Okay, so I think looking at that kind of quali- for that kind of quality too is really important. Yeah, the the people at least who come to the Abbey of you know, I meditate so many hours a day, and I've done all these retreats, and I've studied all these texts. And you know, uh, I know that I, I know this, you know, I've like I meditate on emptiness, and I really had this experience of emptiness and that, and I've you know kind of this deity and that deity appeared to me. And it's like often I'll say yes, let them come, but my reason for allowing them to come is so that they can put their feet on the ground. Yeah, not because I think, you know, that there's spectacular... Hmm? Yeah. Yeah, because we live in a society where we are so impressed with external appearances. And His Holiness even talks about this. Yeah? about even among the lamas, you know, the students who are disciples of certain lamas, because the lamas will sit on the stage when His Holiness teaches, and they'll say, the disciples come, they put extra cushions under the seat of their own teacher so their own teacher will be higher, you know. So maybe they do it out of respect for their own teacher, but they may also do it... Look, my teacher's sitting on the really high seat, higher than all these other lamas. Yeah. And His Holiness comments about the whole hat thing, you know, in Tibetan Buddhism. It's like, you know, this hat and that hat and uh, how impressed people are with hats and how impressed people are with the height of a throne or the amount of brocade that is there. And he jokes about it, you know? And you can see he's not impressed at all. In fact, uh, in in the past, when His Holiness lived in Tibet, when he was a little kid, how did they dress the Dalai Lama? In brocade, you know? Not in robes, not in monastic robes, but in brocade, with some kind of brocade hat, you know? must have been awfully hot and uncomfortable, but anyway, that's how what he wore. when he got older and he came and he became a refugee, he got rid of the brocade and he started wearing regular monastic robes. Yeah and that's the sign of somebody who's not trying to put themselves up. yeah. So. Anyway, I can go on and on about that. But uh, I wish you had been able to meet Geshe Yeshe Topton. He was one of my teachers. Some of you had. He came to DFF that one time. And uh, he was really incredible. I mean, talk about humility. And he was a, a really excellent meditator, but nobody knew it, yeah, and he didn't show it. And every time somebody tried to put you know put him up high, he he stopped it right away. Huh. So he he really he taught a lot by example. And when you would see him doing korba around his holiness's temple, you know, his hair was always a, a a bit long and a few whiskers sticking out, and these old scuffy brown shoes. I don't know how many centuries old his shoes were. And his socks were always falling down. And his shemdav was a little bit too short. And, you know, like that. But, you know, so people would kind of rush past him. Oh, here's this old monk. Yeah, But he was a direct student of his holiness. He lived up in the mountains and meditated for years under his holiness's guidance. So, um, yeah. So I think it's good for us to, to remember people like that. Milarepa commented a lot about it. So many of Milarepa's songs are tearing down people who think they're really hot stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to say, but if I don't do that, I won't get the job. Well, you, you know, you just have to think. What kind of situation do you want to work in? Yeah. And how, you know, how do you, how can you show what you're capable of doing without bragging? Yeah. Sir Karimitchi said to me once, he was a little kid at this time, but we were talking about this kind of thing, and he said, you know, if I'm a good cook, I don't need to go tell people I'm a good cook. I just need to cook something. And then they can find out, they can judge for themselves. Yeah. So if you have talents... Use your talents. People will see them. Yeah? But you don't need to go around proclaiming them. Being better than everybody. Yeah, With your nose in the air. Okay. So just as I am about to act, I see that my mind is tainted with defilement. I am about to give an excuse for why I haven't done what I know I should have done. (laughs) Yeah. I am about to blame somebody for something that was actually my responsibility. Yeah, I am about to just, uh, you know, take a shortcut because i want to finish this job real quickly and i don't want to pay attention to what i'm doing to make sure i'm doing it well i just want to finish it and then later on somebody else can come and repair it because i didn't do a very good job to start with yeah so when you notice these kinds of things in in your mind yeah then to stop yeah and just you know Look at your motivation, correct your motivation, and then go ahead and do what you need to do. Okay. So this is really a practice. We are not excellent at this, especially at the beginning. Yeah. But this is a practice. And as we practice it, our mindfulness and... and. Uh, Introspective awareness will increase. Okay, verse 35. Never should I look around distractedly for no purpose. With a resolute mind, I should always keep my eyes cast downward. Okay, so again, a lot of these we need to to understand correctly. I should always keep my eyes cast downward. That does not mean that you walk around like this all day and don't look at people or the, your your head is always like this i mean if you if you even when you sit or walk your head is like all oh, like this you're going to get depressed that kind of physical gesture affects your mind you're also going to have neck pain and back pain okay so check your posture too and you know make sure your head is erect But, and you don't just always have to be looking downwards, but what it means is, is, you know, you're not looking, remember when we have, when we're at this stream and they want to get us to the middle, they tell us this, so we're at the extreme, when we walk around, we're looking everywhere, you know, especially when you go into town. Yeah. You look, you know, what's in this, in, in the windows, and what's in that window, and what's here, and who are the different people, who's wearing a mask, who isn't wearing a mask, who looks good, who doesn't look good. Yeah. And you, you know, who am I going to smile at? Who am I going to at? Uh, Okay, so a lot of times we're just, you know, our head is like one of those bobbing dolls, you know, the dolls with the screen on the head. (laughs) As we're looking around at everything, you know, as we walk down the street, yeah, or you have to go into an office or, you know, a bank or somewhere and, you know, you're checking, checking everybody out and, you know, making mental judgments about them. So this is like, no, that's not what we do. Okay? And when you're driving, I mean, goodness. Yeah, you need to focus on driving, not, you know, look at the color of that car. Wham! Okay. <laughs> Or, you know, you're getting really mad at some other driver, so you don't pay attention to how you're driving. Uh, So we really need to to focus and not be so distracted that we're looking around for no purpose, you know. There are purposes for looking around. When you're driving, you better look in your rearview mirror. You better turn your side to see if somebody's in the blind spot, okay? You better be aware of what the cars around you are doing. Yeah. So, I mean, there's situations where we should look around and other situations where, you know, we're just plain old distracted. Okay. So you have to determine what these situations are for yourself. Similarly, you know, when we're walking, we need to be aware of we're walking. Yeah. If you're walking in town, there's, um, Uh, especially Seattle. The sidewalks in the residential areas there, you know, it's nice they made sidewalks, but where the things join, it's like this and that and, you know, and this and around the trees like that. And it is so easy to trip and fall on your face walking there. Yeah, some of us know from experience (laughs) Yeah, so you have to pay attention to where you're walking, yeah. When you walk in the forest, you need to pay attention, because sometimes there's logs on the road, there's sticks on the road. Even you notice there's a stick. You have to be careful, because sometimes the stick is caught on something, and you trip over it anyway, you know. You think it's a small one, and it's a big one. Or sometimes there's holes in the path or the path is uneven, so you need to look where you're walking and not just be like this. And also, there's animals on the path and there's bugs all over the path, so we have to look where we're walking yeah, so that we don't harm any living beings. yeah. But that doesn't mean, you know, it depends on your eyesight, you know, but it doesn't mean you're just walking around like this. Okay, you can look a little bit ahead of you. Yeah, so that you know at least where you are and where you're going. Okay, but you try and, and you know, be aware of, of what's up there. Hmm? Okay. So never should I look around distractedly for no purpose. With a resolute mind, I should always keep my eyes cast downward. So we should always have our eyes where they need to be, yeah? And not distractedly looking around and not so stuck in ourselves that, you know, we can't see anything beyond our own nose. And then, of course, each of us have to decide what we pay attention to and what we don't pay attention to, okay? And so... Uh, You know, for example, I meet lots of people, and even before I did, I don't pay attention to names. I absolutely don't pay attention to names. I'm looking, trying, I connect with somebody in some way, but it's not about their name. And I do not notice what people wear. So if you told me, oh, it was the person who asked that question wearing, you know, blue, I have no idea who you're talking about. Okay, Uh, that's why she travels with me. (laughs) She remembers all that stuff. (laughs) Okay, that's your first job. You know, you think being attendant is glorious. No, this is the kind of stuff that you remember. (laughs) So, yeah, you better remember it anyway. (laughs) Um, Okay, but... But, you know, some people pay attention to those things because it is important in their work or their job. They need to notice what somebody's wearing or what their name is. I mean, some people are so offended if you don't remember their name. Yeah? Uh, I just tell people right off the bat, look, I'm going to ask you several times what your name is. Please don't be offended. Anyway, people can't remember my name, and they do usually don't catch it on the first na- time anyway. Okay, your name is what? Children? <laughs> no, children. Oh, I see. Cho John. Yeah. Okay, cho yeah, John, have a good day. Uh, but I don't even pronounce my own name properly. The Tibetans, you know, Karre? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I say my name, Tutan cho You know, <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, so, you know, you learn to laugh at those things if the other person doesn't laugh, well. <laughs> then I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> okay. Okay, but we should uh, guard our mind. And, you know, not just guard our mind, but when we're going into situations, have an intention about what we're going to pay attention to. Similarly, you know, when I when I teach... I don't notice who asks what. When somebody asks a question, I look at that person. Because looking at the person, part of it helps because my hearing is not so great. But also I can see often from their face and their body language that communicates more to me what their, you know, in addition to their words, what their question really is. Okay? But as soon as I respond to that question, yeah... I don't keep that person in my mind because I've got to go on to the next person with the next question. Yeah, and I'm not good at remembering that things. It's like, okay, I did that. That's finished. That's good enough. Now I have to put my concentration completely on this next person. Okay, so if you know, if you say oh, it was the person who asked this and such a question, I don't remember. Okay, yeah, so you have another job. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, but in that context it serves well because I think it's more important for my limited mind to pay full attention to the person whose question I'm answering at that moment than to try and remember that person looked like this and they were wearing that, you know. I can't put my energy there. So what I'm saying is that everybody in whatever work you're doing, you will, you know, choose what it is important for you to remember and what is it is important for you to pay attention to when you're dealing with other people. Okay? So you want to, from time to time, just check up. You know, because if you're paying more attention to the clothes they're wearing than to what they're saying, then something's wrong. Okay? We should be paying more attention to what somebody is communicating than to how they look. Yeah. And we should respect everybody equally for what they say, no matter what clothes they're wearing or, you know, how they speak or whatever, because, you know, everybody is to be respected. Yeah. So in many ways, you know, in many situations, we just have to completely cancel our usual judgment way of looking at other people. Yeah. And I found that especially true when I travel. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you travel, you, you know, you, you're you in all sorts of situations. That when at home, you know, very often you aren't in. Because at home, you know, most people live with people who look like and think like them. Or in neighborhoods where people look like and think like them. But when you travel, you're exposed to all different kinds of people in all different situations. Yeah. And so, you know... I mean, Indian buses are different now than in the past. But, you know, I've ridden on Indian buses together with chickens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, and with the people who are taking their chickens somewhere. And, you know, and that's how they earn their, their living. Or, you know, you pass somebody on the road... With, with, oh, the women in Darmsala they would cut down the branches of the trees uh, and carry them on their head, because that was the firewood. It's supposedly illegal now, but people still do it. But, um, you know, to, to be able to acknowledge that person when you, on the road, you know. So, yeah, so each situation, you know, involves some discrimination of what what to pay attention to and what not if you're limited in your attention abilities. (laughs) Okay. then uh, Let's stop here and see if there's any uh,
0: questions. I did have a question in the beginning there when you were talking about the people who are, the lack of mindfulness introspection can cause harm to others and to yourself. Mm. So that state of mind could be actually considered to be a cooperative condition for the karma to ripen
1: oh yeah okay if you're if you're reading your texts while you're driving Mm -hmm. okay and you're not paying attention your mindfulness is not on the road your introspective awareness is not saying hey driving is more important Mm -hmm. look at the road right now you're setting yourself up for an accident, for that karma to ripen to have an accident.
0: Okay, because I sometimes in my head I think you know it's more the behaviors of body and speech. Because usually the mind is not not paying to the paying attention to the mind at all. So to mm-hmm. see that that state of mind, introspective awareness, is hugely important. Yeah to not have uh, cooperative conditions arise mentally so that you have changed your situation to have yeah. something happen. Yeah.
1: Well, the, the, you know, you're not going to be looking at your text unless your mind is saying, oh, that's something interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the mind is behind all the actions. And sometimes, too, when you're just in a very negative state of mind... You can also sense that you're setting yourself up for some negative karma to ripen. I remember one time, I don't know what happened, but I was really angry and I was vacuuming. And and I just thought, children, you know, you're setting, you're so angry that vacuuming, which usually you're not going to get hurt with, if you don't calm down, you're going to get hurt vacuuming. Yeah. so things like that I even remember the room where I was in when I was doing that and where I was in the room where I said oh stop yeah
0: that's where the introspective awareness is so important to say wait a minute what are you doing and then and how much that can actually help to prevent some serious harm Oh,
1: yeah. Verse 31. Remembering that holy beings read our minds motivates us to choose virtue. But the text says it's supposed to cause fear or shame. Isn't this non-virtuous? Isn't it attachment to approval? Okay. That I tried to explain what fear and shame meant. I guess I didn't do a good job. Shame here does not mean, Oh, I'm a bad person. I'm ashamed of myself okay what it means is you have a sense of your own integrity of how you want to be as a person and you respect yourself you have self-respect uh, you you want to be a certain kind of person uh who's not careless who who's not just well whatever yeah so if you think of the buddha then you know that helps you have that kind of uh integrity about your own actions, okay? And fear here, um, it means awareness of danger. It doesn't mean fear, panic, like, "Uh uh-oh, the Buddha's going to look at what I'm doing, I better be perfect. No, it means you're aware of the situation, and, you know, there's danger uh, if if we act carelessly, like she was just talking about, danger now, or danger in terms of uh, you know, creating negative karma that will ripen in, the f- in future lives. Okay, so no, that's not attachment to reputation. Anyway, you know, the Buddhas are not sitting there looking at us, giving us good, you know, brownie points or not. Yeah, reputation is irrelevant when it comes to uh, the Buddha. Okay, so we will stop here then. We'll start with 36 next time. So, these, cha- you know, what he's talking about here is so practical, and it's not difficult to understand. That doesn't mean it's easy to practice. Yeah, difficult to understand and easy to practice are not the same thing. Okay? But the advice here is so practical. So... You know, if sometimes you feel like, wait a minute, I can't understand emptiness and bodhicitta, you know, the considering all sentient beings is a bit much for me right now. But I can understand this, you know, even here. In order to relax the gaze for a short while, I should look around. And if someone appears in my field of vision, I should look at them and say, welcome. Yeah, that's not difficult to understand. It's not easy to do. Yeah, because we're walking around sometimes absorbed in our own thoughts and we bump into other people. Yeah, we're not looking where we're going. Or you see somebody and you don't smile and say hello. <laughs> Look at them like that. What are you doing here? You know, this street is mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, to, to really take these things and, and try and, and put them into practice in our lives. Because you know, these small, these things seem small, but they make a huge difference. Yeah? If you're a person who smiles at people and says hello, that makes such a big difference from a person who just doesn't smile and say hello. That doesn't mean that everywhere you go, you're saying hello to everybody, and when you walk in somebody's office and they're busy doing something, you say hello and then pride yourself on being friendly. No, we, you know, as with every situation, we have to look at the context in the situation. Okay?